is the Westside King's Church podcast, where we aim to encounter and embody the surprising grace of Jesus. All right. Well, um, thank you for joining us here this evening. This is our last session of our, our short circles growing goodness so i'm really excited to be here i'm Kristen um Kristen woods and i am associate pastor at Westside king's church and we're here with phil uh phil odd i'm super happy that you were able to join for this conversation phil phil you joined us on staff kind of i think in september um as an interim associate pastor um so yeah, I just am super excited. I, I've listened to your podcast quite a few times. Um, oh, so. boy. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but good things to say. So, um, so theo, theo imagination, that's what it is, right? Theo imagination, that's right. Yeah, so yeah. super excited to have you here for this conversation today. Um, excited. So what uh, we are tasked with talking about is... Uh, Today is a culture of service and Christ-likeness to kind of close out our series. So we'll get into a bit of discussion around that. Um, something I wanted to start with is that in the book, A Church Called Tove, um, as they talk about this um, culture of service and, and nurturing a culture of service, uh, they set it up with a really interesting image that I actually found uh, really compelling. And it's the idea that a culture of service turns everyone toward one another instead of towards themselves. And that's thinking of sort of the leaders as that themselves. So if you think of like a regular Sunday morning, regular teaching, a lot of times, you know, most often you walk in and, and that you are, everybody's sat facing the leaders, whoever's leading on the stage. Um, and this idea of a, a culture of service kind of takes that um, and uh, to think about the community as turning towards one another um, and that people are first, grace matters, empathy is a first response, truth is told and doing what right is what shapes the mission of the church. So I really appreciate that in the book. And I know that um, you were pretty uh, looking forward to talking about this idea of nurturing service and had some ideas around that. So I'd love, I'd love to hear from you, Phil, uh, kind of your ideas around that. Yeah, so I listened to this book for the first time. Um, so I bought a copy kind of almost immediately when it came out, but um had been doing a lot of driving i think we were in toronto or something and um so i listened to and i remember this part of the book which is it's funny because i've kept wanting to go back and this is why i hardly ever do audiobooks because it's so hard to find like where was that in the book um and so when you had asked me about these two chapters and i started reading i'm like oh this is this is the one this is um what I'm quite interested in talking about. And the reason is because I think that there's a particular danger that this chapter deals with. I think we could, I think a whole book could be written on this. Um, when we think of narcissism in the church, I think what's getting the spotlight at the moment are the loud in your face. I'm going to yell at you. I'm going to, demean you loudly in front of everybody, um, narcissist. And this is 
really important to deal with. Um, and so I in no way want to undermine that because I think um, we're learning a lot about that on different podcasts on uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill in this book. Um, but there's another type of narcissism that can take over and it's more hidden. And because it's more hidden, I think it's particularly dangerous. And it's the, and I've walked, <laughs> I've walked through some of this. So um, it is through, it's a narcissism, but through service. And because it's through service, it makes it very difficult to put your finger on, unless you're the victim of it, at which point, you know, really clearly. Um, so I'd underlined at one point where it said, uh, for the servant pastor, everything is different. A culture of service turns everyone towards one another, right? Which you were just yeah. referencing instead of towards himself. And I had put, um, and this is only like, I think two pages in, and I had written, um, caution and had circled it towards one another like if because if that's not there we're yeah. in really dangerous territory um and so what the danger is here is that there is a there is a type of um issue where people in the name of service can literally serve everyone and everything and but they do it to be at the center and to be noticed. And so the service of it, it at the end of the day, it is a self-service. And like I said, it's hard for people to realize and hard for them to put their finger on, unless you are the person who stands in the way of this, at which point I, I find that this particular character has then a very deep and bitter resentment mm -hmm. and will undermine um, a culture of goodness whenever threatened by anybody from the outside and why this is even more dangerous is because if you're the recipient of the service it's then you're like but this person's doing so much good for me <laughs> and um and so it makes gaslighting all that much more dangerous right because everybody else is saying well hold on but this seems like just such a great person they're serving me they're doing all these things for me all the time but if you are the person, um, if they can't quite get you under them, then there is a toxicity that takes place. And so for me, Kristen, what you're saying then of the, this idea of being turned towards one another becomes so, so important. Um, otherwise, we're elevating um, a self-service. Mm -hmm. And... So this is where it seems, I think part of what I liked here is that what was difficult to read, but also like, ah, but I've seen it in these cultures is this idea of like, so forget the volunteer appreciation banquets, forget the, yeah. you know, volunteer of the air award, forget all of these things, because um, this is the subtle part here where we can really then serve to be noticed and we foster an environment of serving to be noticed mm -hmm. um, and there are dangers in this type of serving and so I was so glad that they dealt with this because um, I have seen this and it is if you happen to be on the um, resentful side of this equation it, it can be a very dark and damaging thing and so 
this to me balanced out the book a lot and balanced out the thoughts of, yes, let's keep talking about the loud in your face thing that we need to get rid of that and have a culture of goodness uh, and have a culture of service. But let's also be careful that in a culture of service that we don't then shift towards self-service in the name of other service. And there has to be, I think, markers and cautions, which I think they do. So that's kind of why I loved the, the beginning of, the, of that chapter. Yeah. I, I think that's really profound what you're pointing out there. I'd like to dig into that just a little bit more. And, you know, I'm wondering if some of it's rooted in just the things that we celebrate. Right. And, um, mm. and that how we can, we so easily, I think can convince ourselves that um, good work is always good. Right. So as long as, yes. as long as we could call that work good, then it really doesn't matter how we get there. It really doesn't matter mm -hmm. the motivations because it's the, the box is being checked and the work is being done. So at the end of the day, maybe we're not as bothered about it, but I think it comes back to what we celebrate in a person or what we celebrate in a community. And yeah. what I've noticed is a lot of the time it is, you know, these buzzwords that are like, you know, high capacity, extrovert, hmm. like all these things that, um, that very much make sure that those people are kind of at, at the center. Um, and, yeah. and, and the book talks about that. And it's like how we create these rings of belonging then. So if you've got mm. your extroverted, your high capacity, you're like, um, you're just, you know, kind of like totally committed and it doesn't really matter for what reasons type volunteers. Well, those people will automatically um, be kind of at the center of your organization and then everybody else kind of moves to the to the fringes. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that resonates with anything that you're saying there, Phil, or if you have anything. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, if you think of it then too, if the bulk of the work ends up being done, then it's harder actually to deal with um, as a church, because you say, but they do so much and we don't want to get rid of all the tasks that are being done. Right. Um, and so I do, yeah, I do think it's this issue. It's really about heart. Like I think in the same way um, that they say a few times that it's not the size of the church, it's the size of the ego. Yeah. Well, it's also not necessarily the size or the public um, nature of the role as it is again, the ego, because the ego can come through in a myriad of ways. And um, yeah, so I think, I think just markers like, um, and, and the other thing, of course, is then you can involve, you can involve other people. <laughs> like there's, there's more people who are happy to do things. Um, but yeah, the, these, yeah, I, I, I think so, Kristen, in terms of the um, being cautious of what do we, what is it we are, we're actually celebrating, right? Yeah. Um, and because that good work can suddenly not be a good work. And so we have to have good filters and discernment, I would say too, is another key issue here. We have to be a people who discern by the spirit um, what's actually going on. Yeah, I think that's so true, Phil. And, and like you're saying, 
sort of sounds like, you know, when we hinge a ministry, whether it's, you know, or a church or a program or anything off of one person and one person's, you know, hard work and one person's skill and one person's ability, and it becomes that one person centered. Um, yeah. and everybody looks to that person to get it done and to, to create this amazing program instead of like um, more of a collective, then maybe yes. that also is part of the problem. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. I think the whenever there's an arrowing down, uh, whenever we push people to the peripheral, um, we have a problem anytime. And it doesn't matter how we do it. Anytime we start seeing people, and it's easy to do, but start seeing people in the peripheral, um, that becomes damaging. And, you know, um, years ago, I read a book by Nicholas Wolterstorff, and he's a philosopher of, of justice. And he was in South Africa during the height of the apartheid. And they kind of talked about this type of thing there too, in a toxic giving that um, he said he witnessed people giving their trinkets um, and they're giving it away. And then when they're confronted with injustice, they said, but look, we gave, they don't even appreciate and they're not thankful for what we've done. And he said, he says, I couldn't believe it. It was, um, injustice being uh, perpetuated through benevolence, um, right. so-called benevolence, right? And so this this is such a, I think, important thing is that just because it's giving, um, giving can be problematic in so, so many ways. And um, so is it true benevolence? Is it good? Is it other focused? Um, and, you know, they they dealt with that whole issue of like, making the poor feel poor. Um, I heard my cousin was in town yesterday and he does work to alleviate poverty. And he said, it's amazing when you talk to actually, actually talk to the poor. Um, he said, very rarely when you ask them to describe poverty, do they mention money? Hmm. It's these other things in which they get caught. And so then we can perpetuate these things. Um, we can perpetuate them by, by um, you know, giving by benevolence and whatnot. Yeah. So yeah, that's really interesting. So in the book, um, they talk a, a lot about, and we've had some conversation around this, but um, around nurturing giftedness. And I wanted to land there just for a few minutes because I. I've been doing a lot of thinking about this and kind of what that means for a community of people to nurture giftedness. And I was reading some, um, one of Barna's studies this past week and it, they surveyed pastors on giftedness within their churches. And, and it said 79% of pastors strongly agree and the rest of them agreed. So essentially almost hundred percent of pastors agreed that people's giftings reflect, um, the God that created them. So there's some sort of reflection of God within people's gifting, but only 24% of those pastors said that those gifts are celebrated kind of within the church and, 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 um, and encouraged within the church. And that only 17% of those gifts are actually encouraged outside and celebrated outside of the church. So um, I wanted to kind of just talk a little bit about that. And, and also, about this, um, 
it's interesting because I think a lot of the time in order to kind of perpetuate a serving culture, we a lot of the times think that that means, okay, let's just start programs. Like if, if we build it, they will come. If we create spaces, people will fill them. If we have opportunities, then people will want to serve. And I am very young, still in my ministry years. I've only been, you know, in ministry for three years, so I don't want to overspeak. Um, uh, you know, be too you're never going to overspeak. I'll <laughs> let me just interrupt and say we value your wisdom, so don't even go there. Uh, but but it strikes me that this is not the case. Building spots for people to be does not equal building a serving culture. Um, I would love to hear your feedback and sort of your view on all that. Hmm. No, this is so good. Um, oh my goodness. I, <laughs> there's so many different ways I think that we could, places we could take this, but yeah, you know, we talk a lot about belonging and I think belonging is important, but I think, what does it mean to belong? What does it mean? You know, you think about Paul's, uh, he talks about we are members of one another, um, which is a very different thing than being a member of Costco, right? Yeah. For example, to be a member of Costco, um, it is it literally is merely a transactional membership. Um, and I think that that's what we can have in the church in terms of people coming to belong, um, having a space where they're you know, that they can show up versus actually being involved in the life of the church where we act, no, it's back to that kind of facing towards each other that um, we belong together in Christ. And I do wonder if even talking about gifts as a whole, um, what we mean by that, um, because I think there's a way that maybe we elevate the wrong gifts. Um, yeah. So if you think if you think about what is it we normally mean? I mean, what do you think? What what do you think we normally mean when we talk about gifts in the church? I I think we normally mean just the, the our natural tendency. So you've got people who are you know more organized as a person. So we would say that maybe their giftedness is into like organizing groups of people or. Um, I, I think we do categorize it into like maybe a bit more personality types. Um, mm, yeah, I think oftentimes. Yeah. So I think I, I completely agree. And with the, with the filter, I mean, I think when we think of gifts in the church, what, what I often think of first, and I'll pick on myself here, but is music. So I've done musical stuff in churches mm -hmm. for 20 years. So if, okay, are you a gifted musician? Are you a gifted speaker? Are you highly organized, which often means um organizing our programs so that the singers and musicians and speakers mm -hmm. can do their thing um so what like the question for me is where does that leave say uh, a person with special needs where yeah. does that leave um somebody who is not what society would look at and say you're hugely gifted um if our if the filter for gift is the same i think as it is outside the church, then we're, we're always going to run into this problem. One of the interesting things for, for me, as I've been dwelling on like kind of a liturgically formed, we talked a little bit about this recently, liturgically formed worship is um, 
it really opens up the playing field of like the gifts of God um, are often, you're going to read scripture. And by the way, that's as much of an act of worship as the worship leader singing a song is an act of worship. I remember a Christmas Eve service where um, we had um, a special needs girl come up and read the Magnificat, which is was so significant. You have a special needs person speaking, you know, he has thrown the mighty down from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. And it's such a beautiful thing. And then I think ministry gifts, um, but even think about what we've done with this. I, and I'm totally going way too far on this whole question. <laughs> But if you think about like, you know, you have the fivefold ministry and they talk a lot about, they actually reference spiritual gifts here. Think about evangelism. What do we think of when we think of an evangelist? We think of a Billy Graham. We think of people in front of huge crowds of people. It's somebody who's a good public speaker and is on a stage. Mm -hmm. And I think um, most of our best evangelists are not that. I think they are people who know how to be a friend, they know how to, um, you know, proclaim the kingdom using natural gifts, right? It's this idea of the ordinary that I, I think that's really what I'm getting at here. Yeah. They talk a lot about, it has to be ministry is ordinary. <laughs> the yeah. only way is, is it is extraordinary is in its ordinariness. And so I think there's a way in which we can you know, it's not an attempt to like, let's get rid of the artists, throw out the instruments, <laughs> forget good public speaking. I value all of that. Yeah. Um, but there has to be, our gift filter has to be a little bit different, I think. And then I think it'll be more of um, a place to be involved and not just take a seat, I guess. I don't know. Does that answer? Yeah. Have I veered too far? <laughs> no, no, I don't think you veered too far. And, you know, maybe now I'm going to, you know, take us even further just because, you know, yeah. personally as a mom, I, I'm probably a lot of people don't know this. I'm a mom of two special needs kids. Um, mm. And uh, so I really appreciate what you're saying because um, and this is why I've always been drawn to John Swinton's work because he works a lot with people with profound disabilities um, mm. and <laughs> talking about how, <laughs> no worries, um, talk, and he talks a lot about how, you know, the church has to be somewhere different because the, the world views people like my kids and, and, and others like them um, in terms of like what they can produce and what they can offer society and how much they can contribute to society. And um, it's really, uh, you know, that upside down kingdom view to say, no, 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 what you can, what you can contribute and come up with and, and produce, um, that's not what we're going to celebrate here. Um, and, and John Swinton talks in his book, um, Raging with Compassion, about a young girl who he said scared him because it really challenged everything he thought he knew about his belonging in the world and how much he mattered. And as an academic, he said that was really challenging for him because it, it just made him question and everything he kind of thought about belonging but he said in this girl that you know could couldn't even form words there her eyes were like oceans of compassion right the way she viewed the world was one of the most moving and beautiful things that he found so transformative in his own life but that we will miss those things in people we we will walk past them they will they will easily be discarded if we're not um 
if if we're not taught or we're not we're not we don't understand to look for them so I do appreciate that Phil I don't think you went too far I, d I don't know if that's hopefully I didn't <laughs> just take us off track even more oh not at all I, I I love where you're going with that and I think it's desperately necessary to talk about this um even the way that we speak about people what a person is um plays into this you know ian mcfarland he's a he's a scholar and he talks about how we all we base you know what is different about humans and we always talk about the doing and you know their particular um their function and and so then he says well what about immediately we rule out infants we rule out um you know he said it's it's not it's not that we have to go deeper and so no i think this is i think to have a goodness culture we have to i think this is a desperately important conversation in fact i think um we have to have your kids we have to have um, the person you just referenced uh in john swinton's work these actually have to be at the center of the conversation and not just like, let's bring them in every now and again, right. because if this stuff doesn't work for them, it's not a goodness culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that, that, that I think is a filter. And I think it's what Jesus did over and over and over again is, is challenged our, um, our ways of seeing, you know, um, Jesus, he he really did the same miracles or mighty deeds if you will um over and over and over again which is different than other miracle workings um at the time of like extra biblical stuff and so there's a pattern actually to jesus miracles jesus healed uh open blind eyes unstopped deaf ears mm -hmm. and caused the lame to walk raise the dead cast out demons you know with a few other things in there but I think that that this is actually what we need and what I hope that this book is accomplishing. And I think it is for many of us is is um, in the same way that Jesus went and did the, the miracle of opening eyes. He taught over and over again in line with the prophets Like you have eyes to see what you don't see. And so we need Jesus to open our eyes to the things that we see and to bring these people into the center of the conversation, which is, I think, what he did. And I think that's the marker of, of goodness, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, and you also talked just a couple minutes ago about um, this idea of ordinariness, um, mm -hmm. and Paula Gooder talks about it quite a bit. And that goodness is rooted in the ordinary because like, goodness implies an ongoingness, right? Like we don't call something good. I, I don't think on a a one time kind of basis. To me, goodness means that it's something that is ongoing. It's sort of habitual, um, and and that really speaks to I think the rhythm of just ordinary life, um, and yes. that and that a lot of the time we want serving to feel heroic. Um, we could get into whole conversations about you know missions trips and and all that kind of stuff, but like I think we want that feeling, right? That we yeah. oftentimes, um, and that a lot of the time serving isn't heroic. A lot of the time is is just family serving family, person serving person, neighbor helping neighbor, right? And that it doesn't it it is kind of gets into that idea of the mundane, which. Um, also, Tish Harrison Warren talks about a lot, like liturgy yes. of the ordinary and life of the mundane, um, and this idea that goodness is really rooted in in ordinary everyday life, which is what Jesus mm. did, right? That's where he met people in ordinary everyday life most of the time. Yes. 
Yeah. And I think sometimes uh, like our culture doesn't like that word ordinary because they attach <laughs> different meanings to it, like boring or average or not good enough. Um, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that, the idea of the ordinary. Yeah, totally. Boring, by the way, is a word that did not exist until I think the 19th century, oh. um, which is interesting, right? Because we we were so desperate for things to not be boring. We, we didn't even think about that before. So we're working with all these other parameters now, but um, at the risk of like name dropping, my, I, I hope to have the opposite effect um, here as I say this, and it doesn't really matter because none of these people know who I am, I'll say that. Um, I started in ministry, um, I, and I actually think this is a really dangerous thing. Honestly, um, I started at a massive church. Um, we set 5,000 people. Um, we didn't have that many. <laughs> we had, you know, maybe uh, 2,500, 3,000. Um, but then we would have guests come in. We would like TD Jakes came to our church, you know, and um, we had 10,000 people in the building throughout that night. And I remember I, I say all of that. Um, to say a and they kind of deal with this in the book actually of there's a there's a real acute danger i think especially for a younger person um in a culture if we're really breeding a um a workspace uh you know whatever it is extraordinary type thing and you're in that environment with big names big budgets all that kind of stuff it's easy to breed some pretty dangerous stuff mm -hmm. but i remember leaving that place and like I came from a small bible school in Ontario and by small I mean like 500 people <laughs> small okay and so um I remember some of my friends like oh my goodness CD Jakes but I remember leaving that church and having this like reflective moment of like what were actually the key moments for me at this church and none of them none of them were these when the big name people came in town and we did events with them and and um what i remembered was being with my friend paul when he was dying and being with his brothers and hanging out with them and um literally being there when he had his final breath that's what i remember i remember i'm um, seeing people in the hospital i remember this is the ordinary stuff of life that literally every one of us goes through and yet um somehow i had eyes to see when i left that place like that the other stuff really i mean it was a one night thing it was fun it was cool to see a lot of people but the that wasn't the real ministry um and i'm not downplaying those people's ministry by any stretch but it was the ordinary things i will never forget for the rest of my life um because they grabbed my heart and if you walk with somebody through suffering, you walk with people through pain and through joys. Um, what could be more ordinary than weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice? And yet those are the most extraordinary moments of life. And, and I also think that there are true markers of, um, of whether we're doing well, <laughs> whether we have a goodness culture. Yeah. Weeping with those who weep in some senses is, is easy. Although, of course, um, some pastors get too busy. Um, you know, they don't have time to go. Somebody else do that, 
right? I, I have important things to do. I have a sermon to write um, or whatever it is, right? Uh, but rejoicing with those who rejoice, can you rejoice with somebody else? I mean, that is a mark of goodness. But the rejoicing is in people's ordinary moments. And to me, that is the mark. That is the, um, mate, the, the metrics of if we really have a goodness culture or not. So at the risk of, you know, again, T.D. Jakes does not know me from Adam. Uh, let me make all that really clear. None of, none of those people would have any clue of who I was. So um, it, it was just, it was fun as a young person, but it wasn't the, the real stuff of ministry. The real stuff was the ordinary nitty gritty hospital gowned uh, ministry. Yeah. Which is, I think most people, I don't know. I think most people go into ministry because that is what they want to engage with. Right. I, I, I think yeah. most people that is how it starts out and, and they have a, a desire to, to be with people, you know, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And it's what we talked about a few weeks ago, that institution creep, right. How it, yes. is, it is just so slow and subtle because I really do feel that if most people knew it was happening, they would probably make another choice or, or I, I, I do think that, and I think it just becomes so slow and insidious. And like, you were just talking sort of about this idea of celebrity culture. Um, I think a little bit, and we've heard a lot mm -hmm. about that. Um, it's part of what's been in headlines and stuff of, as we've seen really prominent churches who have these big mega pastors, celebrities, and you look at Jesus and he was, you know, sort of the anti celebrity uh pastor he was you know the servant of all servants right and yeah. he kind of he, you know he he flipped that yes um, yeah so i think i i appreciate you sharing that no absolutely and, and i think you're up you know it's true um i was listening recently to dr chris green um he's a theologian pentecostal theologian um and one of the things that he talked about, you know, they mentioned that that text um, where Jesus says, "I didn't come to um, um, I didn't come to be served, but to serve." Mm -hmm. And I do think what like what he was after in in what he was teaching was we have to break the master slave relationship and filter, mm -hmm. and he says we have to break it not only with each other but with God. Right. And I've always thought of that text, if I'm honest, in kind of like a one time event, like, hey, let me just take a moment here and demonstrate what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And then come and serve me. <laughs> he says, no, Jesus specifically says, I came to serve. And I think he said something to the effect that that Jesus was he he's he's too big um, to be master. <laughs> um you know, David Brooks, who they talk about a lot, um, he, he says, um, you know, Alice had to become small to enter Wonderland. And I think that there's, there's this idea of we want to grow big. Um, and this is, whether it's on our Instagram follows or likes, or whether it's, um, you know, how many people are, are following our sermons or this or that. And it's pervasive, and it's easy to fall into the trap. But Jesus was trying to get us to be small. He, it, was, it, it really was this um, 
you know, how did you refer to it? Um, the the anti-celebrity thing, yeah. right? Um, he said, no, if you if you want to enter the kingdom, actually, you know, it's it's harder for a rich person. In other words, it's harder for people who have accumulated and tried to make it, all this stuff upon themselves to make themselves big. He said it like it's harder for you to come into the kingdom than, you know, a, a camel to enter through the eye of the needle. You have to become small. And so this is all of Jesus teaching. And I think this is what the glory of God does is it actually presses us down to become small enough to enter the kingdom so that our souls can expand. And this is the, the beautiful kind of irony of this is when we become small, we become big, but it's not the same type of bigness. It's not celebrity big. It's you have a big heart. You have a big and generous soul with resources from God because you don't need celebrity. Um, you're actually filled with, with God's own self. Like what else do you need? You know? But um, so I think it's just a sign of sickness when we're, when we digress from that, but yeah. to make ourselves big. Yeah. So as we're kind of closing out this series, we're going to, we're, we've kind of naturally kind of flowed into that idea of Christ likeness, um, which I think we've been talking about like through all the weeks, because when we talk about things that we've talked about, empathy, compassion, grace, uh, talking about people first, truth, justice, and, and, and service to one another. Um, that's when a Tove culture emerges and we mm. become more Christ-like. So all the culmination of kind of all these things that we've been discussing kind of results in that Christ-likeness. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, David talked about this, I think this past week about how, you know, that's not to say we don't do things well, right? That's not to say that, you know, we can't value, you know, quality or, you know, value good music or value good art and all that kind of stuff. But that when we have to choose one, I, and I really like that line that he mm. said, when we have to choose, when we will be held accountable to goodness, that's what we're going to mm. be held accountable. Um, so when we think about Christ likeness as a community, um, I feel like that seems like a, we would say maybe that, oh yeah, well, that's obvious or, or that seems like a really big idea, but how do you think practically, how do you think that, how do we do that? Mm. I guess it's just everything we've been, we, we've been kind of talking about. We don't want to go back all the way. <laughs> Let's head back to the first session and go through everything again. Um, it's a real question though, right? I mean, well, it's just that I, it's such a, it's, I think it's such a great point, Kristen, because it's easy for a person to me, like me, to theorize. <laughs> we could theorize about, you know, um, I talk about cruciformity. I think they talked about uh, Christiformity. Yeah. Um, and we can talk about it, but what does it actually look like on the ground? Yeah. What are the examples? And, um, you know, I think, even some of the things that we're seeing now, and they do, they do give some examples actually in, in a church called Tove, but um, it's also easy to focus on what it doesn't look like, but what, what does it look like? And I think, that, I, I, I think what I'll say is, you know, and I'll, I'm curious as to your thoughts um, as, as to what you've seen or what you think, how we can move in that direction. I think we have to have a filter for um, 
really at the end of the day, I think the cross has to be the filter for how we understand ministry and even life. Um, otherwise there will always be the temptation and the temptation will come in weird ways um, for us to lean toward those at the center and to elevate the people at the center and not elevate others and to choose greatness over goodness. And I love that line too. I think that was such a great, um, such a great way to, to put it. But, um, you know, if you, if you think even at the moment, um, and again, I hope I'm not taking us too far afield here, but there is times where we just don't want to ruffle any feathers and we don't want to make hard calls. Yeah. And sometimes we do this in the name of peace. And what we say is, hey, people are upset. This is not Christian unity, so it's not good. Yeah. And that always works for people in power and it never works for the people at the margins. And so okay. um, what actually are we have to look and say, well, what actually instead of is it causing a disruption? Because the spirit disrupts <laughs> the book of Acts. I'm very, <laughs> like, I mean, the book of Acts is one giant street riot after another and this i think people miss this um but the spirit comes the spirit disrupts our systems to draw us back toward goodness um how can we discern it and i think the way we discern it is by saying um which option here looks more like taking up a cross mm -hmm. and um and, and that will i think what i'm learning and probably too late in life because i think i've I have contributed, uh, and I'll tell you, it's easy to contribute to a greatness culture. Um, but I think what I'm learning is that you have to be willing to set some things aside. You know what? I liked what they said, um, that in a, in a greatness culture, every Sunday morning has to feel like it is the best thing that's ever happened, right? It's, it's this... Yeah. Um, show that has to be awesome all the time. If that is the case, there will be no space for interruption to do good work. Yeah. If the band can't interrupt their rehearsal because somebody else is hurting mm -hmm. or somebody in the band is hurting, you're like, you know what? I think we just need to love you. And I'm going to spend time with this person. And I guess we're done rehearsal. We'll see what happens Sunday. Like if yeah. we can't make space for that, um, and then that means grace for each other. Like that's the, that's the other part of this. And I'm talking way too much tonight, but oh. the, the, you know, like when I first went to the university, um, I, my work there <laughs> is you can't really walk any party line. You're falling off on one side or the other. And I realized that I was either going to be gripped by fear in my ministry there, fear of people saying you did that wrong on both sides of the fence. Mm -hmm. You, you know, you, you should have done this. You should have done that. And so I had all these church people, you know, proverbial church people on my shoulder. Um, and I was paralyzed with fear. And then I realized, um, okay, these are complex issues in which there is no easy answer. Yeah. And I realized why, what I need and what I think we all need is a community of grace rather than a community who says the music wasn't good enough today. You made this decision in ministry. You know, how could you do that? That's so terrible. Um, you did this, you did that. 
we literally, we have to become people of grace. Um, If we're not gracious with each other, and even when it's like, yeah, maybe you could have done it different, but there's a way in which we can um, be okay with that. And I think all those things are necessary for, to create this culture of goodness, you know? I mean, again, that's a mouthful, but like, what does it, what do you think? What's it look like for you as your, so am I okay to throw this back at you? No, that's totally great. You know, I had listened to a podcast this past week with Diane Langberg is her name. Mm. Yeah. Um, She's a psychologist um, and she specializes in trauma and abuse, but she has Mm. a, a book called redeeming power. And Uh, I love the way she spoke about redeeming power. And, Mm. you know, when I first, I actually have the book and, you know, you can kind of think of it from a psychological perspective when you're dealing with trauma and abuse, but she talks a lot about this idea of like the corruption of power and that um, uh, a lot of times systems become really sick because of this corruption of power. But the thing is, there's all kinds of power. Like we actually, power is God given, you know, we were told to go out and we were told to rule the earth. That is power. Right. And so we a lot of times view power as like the enemy and, and it being negative, but the thing is it was a gift and it was a blessing and that it continues to be so, but it's the corruption of the power, right? Because Mm. physical power, emotional power, financial power, spiritual power. And a lot of the time, when we have systems where one person holds all this power, it's really difficult for that not to get corrupted. Um, She's got this beautiful line in the the podcast where she says, you want to know how easy it is for systems to like, how badly systems can get corrupted. The system God designed wanted to kill his son. That's how badly systems Mm. can get corrupted. Um, And, but she talks about it in the, the, the solution then is not, well, there should be no power. The solution then is um, power in a redeemed sense, caring for the least of these, bringing hope and love um, and, and yielding my power to his, right? And having a community that consistently, individually and corporately yields power to yeah to you know to the head of the church right instead of viewing ourselves as the head of that church and so I just really appreciated that and so to me that's really what's Mm. resonating with me I think there's a lot of different things we could avenues we could go down but to me that's what's resonating with me this week it is is looking at power and how do we redeem that right how do we yield in that I'm gonna get the book redeeming power (laughs) yeah okay I'm gonna (laughs) recommend one since you recommended that um (laughs) Andy Crouch, strong and weak. Same time. I think this is such a, such an important conversation of what does it mean to have good power? Yeah. I'm going to read that book though. I'll read, I'll read the book you just recommended. So I always love a good, (laughs) I always love a good book recommendation. (laughs) Anything to buy another book. Like, no, I have to now. So good. That's great. Well, you know, I, I've, I really enjoyed having this conversation uh, today, Phil, and uh, thank you for everyone who's kind of tuned in and joined us on these calls for, for this series. And uh, yeah, I just really appreciate uh, everything you've had to say here. Well, thanks for having me. It's been fun. It has. Okay, well, thank you, everyone. And uh, we'll see you later. <laughs>